You're listening to the Irish Times. It's weird to know how to start this one this morning, Pat, um, because Kobe Bryant is dead. Yeah, um, as I was listening to Bill Simmons on the way in talking about him, Kobe Bryant, one of the great um, basketball players of all time, and he was talking about the brackets after his name, 1978 to 2020. Yeah, and. I kind of realised that that's exactly my life. And, um, <laughs> yeah, me too. And, me too, actually, yeah. yeah. And Gavin Comiskey is is going to come in with us for the start here because Gavin's a huge uh, NBA fan. Uh, you lived in LA when, when Kobe was there, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I spent uh, a lot of summers we're gonna there. Ha- uh, just, we'll say, we'll have Jerry on in a while. We're going to uh, start previewing the Six Nations. But I thought we'd get you in for this because, I, uh, t- well, to be frank, I, like, I know Kobe as a... Uh, cultural figure I know he was a great basketball player but I never really watched enough basketball to sort of get him um, so you can tell us about him well just to give you kind of an idea of how he's seen in California and Los Angeles a, a lot of my mum's younger brothers and sisters emigrated in the 80s you know right. so they've all had grown families there and all and they're who are now in their 20s and 30s and like my uncle was saying last night that like to people in Los Angeles he's family he's this enormous figure that that did transcend the sport mm-hmm. because he spent 20 years with the Lakers, won five titles and scored 60 points in his last game, hobbling around the court. He, it, the, the things he did were kind of always in the shadow of Michael Jordan because they were so similar and he was so modelled on mm. him. But his he, his what his achievements since he retired in 2016 were just getting were going larger and larger. And it was so obvious he was going to stand the test of time as one of the greats. And he was starting to do like um, some wonderful things like Obama's tweet was right on the money he goes his second act was going to be greater than his first because mm. of the things he was doing off the court and what he was taking on with his life and the fact that uh, his second oldest daughter Gianna died with him as well she was a brilliant uh, 13 year old teenage basketballer who he'd gone on Jimmy Kimmel recently Kobe and said people go oh why don't you have a son and are you, are you no idea you have four girls and how are you going to follow some, how is someone going to follow you into the NBA and he'd go Gigi would pop up and go I'm going to follow him into mm-hmm. the WNBA mm-hmm. don't you worry about that and he every time you see him like I'm talking like a week ago he was courtside with her and LeBron James came over and hugged the both of them and it's very actually uh, it's it's an awful tragedy it's um, it is interesting because <clears throat> Like yesterday, you know, when you hear celebrity deaths or famous sports people deaths, you know, you sort of go, huh, and then you move on with your life. But uh, that that yesterday really kind of, whoa, holy. I've, I've never felt like someone you don't know passing away. I've never felt such a blow. That's, what I, was, that's what I was interested in because you, you were actually the first person I thought of and I texted you and you texted back to say that you were sick to your stomach. Yeah. And like I Just know so people, surprised. Yeah, you know? like I know I know people can go, you know, cop yourselves on, you don't know these people, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But when you have a connection with somebody, when, when a sports person is somebody that, like as you say, his life <laughs> is exactly more or less our life. I was living in California when I was... Uh, Age-wise, obviously, it, not... When I was 19, 20, 21, I spent all those summers in California. Yeah. And when, even when I was younger. And I was walking down Venice Beach when I was 21 and there was this massive mural on the wall and it was Kobe Bryant's face. And he goes, what were you doing when you were 21? Because he just won his first <laughs> NBA title. All right, I'm Kobe, 21. <laughs> I've just failed out of college, but I, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've always had a kind of affinity to his... I've just, like, I followed his career because he went... When we both left. We all did our leaving certs. He was going into the NBA. Yeah. So if his 20-year career, I've just tracked it and a big Lakers fan and all, all that, obviously. But LeBron James, um, two nights ago, LeBron James surpassed him as number third on the highest mm. points scoring in the NBA history regular season. And he spoke 
for five minutes. He was back in Philadelphia where Kobe's from initially, although he grew up in Italy. He's, Kobe Bryant's story is not your regular American mm. hero story. Fluent and he'd better Italian when he came back to high school in America than English. But uh, LeBron sat there with all the microphones around him in the changing room and spoke for five minutes. And it, it was as if Kobe passed away, you know. It, it's, yeah. it's, it, it shakes you to your, to your core when you look at it now, where he just paid tribute to this guy. So strange, who, it was a eulogy before he died. Yeah, yeah. it really was. And he, he was like, I didn't think you could go straight from high school into the NBA. And then I saw Kobe doing it. And he was, and then he was like 13, 12, 13, 14. And he was this superhuman yes, uh, young teenager. One, yeah. And he goes, well, okay, Kobe's doing it. And if, after that, they became these... Um, like inseparable, like a relationship between them. And you can see Michael Jordan's uh, uh, statement this week or last night was about calling him his little brother. And um, his place in, there was so much more to come from him as well, but like his place in, in sporting history can't, can never be touched. Like he won three NBA titles with Shaquille O'Neal, which is mm-hmm. one of the most indestructible centers the NBA has ever had. And then they fell out. Kobe would fall out with a lot of people throughout his career. And to think that he came back then in 2009, 2010, won two more titles. And there was a great Boston Celtics team around at that time. A dream team had been compiled there. There was teams everywhere. And his kind of, his sidekick, his Scotty Pippen to Michael Jordan was Pal Gasol at that stage. Who's a good, great, mm. one of the great European players to play in the NBA. But he's not Scotty Pippen. He's not Shaquille O'Neal. So the feats that uh, Kobe achieved were, they're untouchable forever. That's why and it's, he's 41. That's why it's so shocking that this has happened. Just a, a complete a helicopter crash where all the details haven't come out of it. Where he was going to a basketball game with his daughter. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's one of those things that kind of stops you in your tracks. Um, thanks for doing that, Gav. Uh, we're going to have uh, Sean Moran on the line in a while to talk about uh, the return of the, the GA National Leagues. But first, Jerry Thornley is here. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good morning. So, Jerry and Gav... Tis the season. Uh, Six Nations starting on the weekend. Uh, Jerry, you are headed away to Portugal. Correct. Later season. today. Later today. This is new. This is different. Uh, very new. Very different. Team team, team announcement in uh, in Portugal. Puerto de Lago in the Algarve tomorrow Tuesday. Very different. They're in, How they're come? In, they're in, they're in camps since last Wednesday. They're yeah. there until this coming Wednesday. And uh, under the new regime, they decided they're going to make team announcements on Tuesdays. Mm. Which is quite a, um, a, a as opposed to as opposed Thursdays. to Thursdays, yeah. and um, we know how much it used to agitate Joe Schmidt mm-hmm. when some of us would reveal the team and maybe get it right on the Thursday morning. Yeah. Um, clearly, it doesn't bother Andy Farrell that it's out there on a Tuesday. So yeah. it's, it came a long running game. So now it'll be uh, now it'll be anno- annoying them that uh, it'll be you'll have it on a Monday. Well, don't know, <laughs> don't know if any of us are really going to have it. It's, it's more difficult to get it this early in the week. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know there'll be quite the foot rush to name the team in advance. Are, are More we, speculation this yeah. time, I think. Are we to read an awful lot into this, into into the, you know, just the the difference, even just the difference in preparation? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think so. It is it is very much Andy Farrell putting his stamp on things. He will have thought about what he was going to do for a long time. Word was that the teams were going to be announced on Tuesdays before we took over. Um, so I think this is very much him putting his own mark on things that... Like I said, it doesn't bother them the teams out on Tuesday. I think it might might signify a little bit more of a, a relaxed regime in that sense. It's kind of a chest out as well, Jerry. This is like Gatlin used to do it. This is my best team. Come be. Gatty us. often announced on a Monday morning to surprise people. <laughs> right. Didn't bother him at all. He was out all week. <laughs> what will be interesting, Gav, about the team selection is the fact that we we've never had a team selected by Farrell before. So 
it is kind of the new broom. Do we expect there to be many changes? Will he put his stamp on the team from the start? Um, there has to be certain definite changes. Everyone's expecting Caelan Doris to come into the team. Well, a lot of people are expecting Caelan Doris to come into the team as number eight based on his excellent form for Leinster this season. But um, the problem is, what do you do? Get, it's Josh Van der Flyers not getting dropped, so what do you do? Get rid of CJ Stander or Peter O'Mahony. But one, whoever misses that goes to the bench. That's how it looks if that happens, which is again a big call. Um, and then if you go, you, it looks like Roland Kelleher is back full training, so he comes in as a first cap at hooker. So that's two new, that's two first caps which are looking looking like they're going to happen. Roland Kelleher though hasn't played for a couple of months. Hasn't has played he? since December the seventh. He cap. hasn't. So does it, that's why Rob Herring has a chance. That Dave Heffernan from Connacht is in there as well, which I thought was an interesting selection. Um, so Rob Herring has a chance in in the sense that uh, Kelleher has has had a broken or a, fra- a bone damage in his hand. So, but athleticism-wise, talent-wise, from what we've seen and what we heard was coming and what we've seen in the first few months of the season, Kelleher is the, should, should be getting his chance, if not in this game, from the start, at some stage throughout the Six Nations. Like He is he is a quality player. And then there's full-back. Um, again, Larmer has been injured, which is so unfortunate because he was looking like he was ready to go and 15 jersey was going to be his for a long period of time. But Will, had, Will Allison's form has been excellent. So they're the three kind of major decisions, I suppose. Um, Scrum half? Yeah, of course, scrum half. Well, scrum half. Everyone, it's a. It seems like a straight shoot. On but it's a big. De- it is a decision. Like it, it's not. It's a big decision. But I, I, f- I feel a decision between Cooney and Murray. Just to be yeah, clear. yeah. And like no, and, and Luke McGrath will not. They won't like not consider Luke McGrath obviously as well because he's been an integral part of the squad for a while. Um, like we talked about this before on form alone. John Cooney deserves to be there. He's done some special things with like match winning tries, goal kicking, everything, and he's been running the show for Ulster. Uh, he's been one of the form players in Europe, um, but then you saw Conor Murray sneaking back to form, and it's it's such a big leap to drop Conor Murray. So it's either um, you watch what he does off the bench, or you watch what he does from the start. Um, I think a lot of people would like to see Cooney get the opportunity from the start against Scotland, his his father's country, and you know it would be a, it'd be a a big thing. But Andy Farrell doesn't deal in what people like to see. You know he'll deal with what he feels, and it, it might be too much of a stretch for him to to That's leave Murray off the team. Um, Andy Farrell has, knows Conor Murray from a long way back. He's worked on him with two li- on two Lions tours. He's worked on him through Grand Slams and Six Nations titles. Uh, Conor Murray has always delivered for Andy Farrell. He's a key cog in the defensive system. He's a very good defender. He's a better defender than John Cooney. Um, I've seen a lot of Munster and Ulster this season <clears throat> live, less so of Leinster, just because Leinster has been so boringly efficient and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. beating everybody. <laughs> um, but and whereas you know Ulster been There's rolling a story the dice, the and Munster have certainly yeah. been rolling the dice. Mm. So I've been watching a lot of them. I think Conor Murray's form has come back in the last few games. I think his passing's been very good. I still think his boxing very good. His defensive work is excellent. He's got a very well established partnership with Johnny Sexton as well. I think all these factors come into play, and I think that's why they'll start with Conor Murray and have John Cooney in the bench, and then it'll be taken from there and Cooney will get time against Scotland and we'll see how it develops from there but I think he'll probably start Conor Murray I read Brian O'Driscoll's comments in Johnny Warson's piece this morning I think that body of work that the two men have together Andy Farrell and Conor Murray will count for a lot plus his body of work with Johnny Sexton I think it's the most capped halfback partnership in the world um, certainly Ireland's record halfback partnership I agree with Gal I think Caelan Doris might well start at number 8 I think both he and Ronan Callagher 
are test match animals. Mm. I think Caelan Doris just does everything well. He's a superb carrier, but he's a very good defender as well. He makes good decisions the ball. He's a passer. We possibly, he was the absolute standout player of his generation at under 20s and we thought he was going to be another James Ryan and we possibly, because of the, the standards James Ryan set in his first year as a pro, we thought Doris might do the same. We probably expected too much of Doris, but this season, his second season in the Leinster team, he looks the real deal. It's only a question of time, I think, before he does nail land the number eight jersey. I agree with Gav as well. I think they'll want to keep CJ Stander in there for his numbers. He's yeah. just got such a high work rate. Um, Peter Armani never has high numbers. He has big plays in games, some super plays. Like you see, even that first half against the All Blacks, sure. when the tide was overwhelmingly yeah, black and yeah. blowing Ireland away, he came up with the two biggest plays of the first half to get Ireland back into the game. But I just feel that they want, they'll want try and accommodate CJ Stander as well. So it could be CJ at six, Doris at eight. And it might even be that Pete could be under pressure for his place in the squad because Max Deegan is a more versatile back rower and he could cover the entire back row. Um, We're going to see Max Deegan, Jerry, in the Six Nations, aren't we? Yeah, I think Just so. his running game. Like, again, he put so much pressure on Doris, who mm. would nail down Leinster, you know, and he, he was just fantastic in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, he's really come on the last few weeks. I don't think Kelleher will start because of the fact that he hasn't played since December the 7th. I just think it's too long a gap to pitch in a 23-year-old on his test debut, 22-year-old on his test debut yeah. after eight weeks not playing, seven weeks not playing. So I think Rob Herring will probably start with Kelleher on the bench. Um, another interesting call, it's a 50-51, is Kilcoyne or Healy at number at loose head. I see, Gav, you think that Porter might start. I think he'd probably go Furlong to start, Porter on the bench. Mm. And second row, is another. they're all close calls. I, I personally think he'll still go Ian Henderson and James Ryan in the second row myself. Alton Dillon might be might be might force his way in or Dev, I'm not sure who in the squad. That's another close call, but I just think he'll go Henderson. Wouldn't you like to see him lean slightly towards um all the close calls are like there's the established guys who are probably gonna get are just ahead by an inch, but it would that's why you'd like to see him just mix it up a little bit. Like Dave Kilcoyne's yeah. an ideal one. Keen Healy, it's very hard to again, it's very, very difficult to drop Keen Healy. He hasn't he hasn't been outstanding, but he's been good in since he's come back in one or two games exceptional. Uh, but Dave Kilcoyne has kept his form up from before the World Cup. Do you, do you, do you get any sense that because it's his first game, because it's new broom, all that sort of thing, that he might veer on a close call, might veer with a new player? He might go with Kilcoyne over Healy? Almost as much as a statement... If, there, if there's very little between them, would he just be making the statement that I, this is my team now? No, I think what he'll do is, he'll, he'll, he'll definitely see that as a mark of his team in it, but I think when it comes to those close calls, he'll go with four. And he's, right. been, he's been clear about that. Like That's how Max Deegan got, got back in. That's how the team he initially named changed within two weeks for the team he named for the six, the group, the large panel. Right, yeah, he yeah, mixed yeah. it up because players played well in that gap because he told them over Christmas, if you play well, I'll pick you. So, He's said that to them and he's proving it. So he needs to back that up one more time when it comes to team selection. But that's the thing. He's been part of a backroom <coughs> staff that hasn't picked on form for the last year. Yeah, but that's it's they are the same backroom team. Obviously, John Fogarty and Mike Cat have come in, but the main decision maker wasn't Andy Farrell. And everyone knows the main decision maker was Joe Schmidt. But like Malik is saying, to differentiate himself, would he absolutely double down if there's an inch between guys? I think they'll differentiate themselves from the way they play. Like Obviously, you can't go completely away from structures that are embedded in people's brains but I, I think they have they, I think they will there'll be an, a real desire to play slightly differently and that's how they'll they'll do it but the team will be different you know the, the, the ultimate will. one for if he's going to send out a message which I don't think he'd be frankly too bothered about really mm. you know what message he's sending to the public certainly not at all or to the media or any pundits or whatever else maybe to the squad certainly picking John Cooney would send out a hell of a message that this is a new broom that's but kind I, of what I was getting yeah, at yeah but I, yeah. I still think he'd go for Conor Murray because like although John Cooney has come up with some sensational plays and is scoring tries and 
it'd be great to see Conor Murray adding more of it. I think Conor is starting to run a bit more with the ball now in the, latter, in the latter few games, which is good to see. But for all the other reasons I outlined, I still think he'll go Conor Murray. And John Cooney's goal kicking, while it's great that he's the top point scorer in the Pro 12 and mm. top or Pro 14 and top point scorer in the Heineken Champions Cup, he's not going to be goal kicking for Ireland because yeah. he's not getting that ball off Johnny and, Sexton. And he does. Sure. He gets turned over another time when he goes on his little breaks, yeah, you know, which yeah. are which can be spectacular, but. At the same time, imagine what it would do for uh, the Irish squad if Murray came off the bench for 20 minutes. And what do you look? You know, he's just going to come on and go tempo, 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 mm. and he's going to look to do something. Uh, I'd love to see Conor Murray put under that kind of pressure because I, I know what he'll do. I know exactly what he'll do. He'll he'll go. Oh, okay, I have to become. I have to go back up I to the world. Well, I'd say he's feeling the heat as it is. I'd say he's feeling the pressure. Like he'd, unless he unless he migrates but, to Mars after every game, he doesn't read anything <laughs> yeah, on social media, the paper. I think he's got a fair idea that he's under pressure. He's so it. cool, though, isn't he? Dude? Yeah. So he it'd is, be great yeah. to put him under real yeah. heat, like proper, like really make him mad and see what he does. You know. The other but one. Here. The other one is midfield. Like yeah. it's bizarre that in all the time Joe Schmidt was head coach, he never, ever, ever had Bundy Aki, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose all fit together. He never had a choice once, to make. Once only yeah. against England in the opening Six Nations game last year and when he, he went, went with Henshaw, Henshaw full back. Yeah. So he never really, we never really knew <laughs> what the well. first choice <laughs> yeah. was, uh, which the first choice midfield partnership mm. was. So that's a really big call. Obviously, Gary Ringrose starts at 13 because he's just tearing it up. He's been sensational this season. So it's a question of whether you go Robbie Henshaw or Bundyaki at 12. I don't think Robbie Henshaw's form has been brilliant this season, like compared to a lot of other Leinster players this season, but I think it's been solid. I think Bundyaki's been very good for Connacht, but I think he might just go Robbie Henshaw partly because of the 10, 12, 13 Leinster axis because Johnny Sexton is so familiar with playing with Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose. Impossible That's, call though because whoever doesn't get it probably doesn't get the squad. No, probably doesn't get the Henshaw squad. Henshaw might get the squad from the bench, but uh, might. Yeah, but might. Uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a big call to drop. They've never dropped Bundyaki. No, come here. No. Let's uh, let's broaden this. Last out. one, last one. Back three. I think he might start Will Addison at fullback. Even if Larmer's fit. That, yeah, yeah Larmer in the wing. Well, here let's Stockdale, let's talk in the left wing. Let's broaden this out a bit. Uh, the state of the Six Nations. Have we have we four potential winners? Yep, this year. Yep. Yep. If you for the first time in a while. Yeah, probably for the first time. If you look at the Six Nations over the last decade, the last nine years, Ireland have won three titles, England have won three titles, and Wales have won three titles. Mm. France have managed a top half finish once in the last decade, <laughs> and that was when they finished third. Yeah. In Guinovis' first year, they just haven't counted. Yeah. There was even a wooden spoon in there one year. There was. Fifth, yeah. Fourth, fifth, yeah. and sixth for a decade. Now, they're really interesting. They all, they're very, very dull, the French. They're always fascinating. And they've got a new head coach, Fabien Galtier, possibly their first really good coach of the professional era. If they'd chosen Novi a bit sooner, he might have fallen into that category, but um, they probably chose him too late. Um, so Galtier, Sean Edwards there, the defensive yeah, coach. Yeah, wait for their defence. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, their first game on Sunday is a must-watch. And it's probably going to define their Six Nations. They're at home to England. If they win that, they're contenders. If they don't win that, they're probably not contenders. Um, they're going to be fascinating to watch. The only th problem I have with the French is they've got, in the 28-man squad they've announced last week, they have seven uncapped players and they only have 14 of their World Cup squad. It's just the same old France, just no continuity. Keep and you just wonder, England will have, probably have the most seamless continuity from the World Cup and they did make the World Cup final. They are the form team of the Six Nations that are coming out of the World Cup. Their performance against the All Blacks if reproduced anything like that throughout the Six Nations would probably see them win a Grand Slam. The doubts about them are what the whole Sarri saga is going to do to the camp it, it has to be destabilising you would have thought unless Eddie Jones can use it to mo unify a squad in some way but you'd have to think that's destabilising 
and they're not, they don't have Billy Vunapola. Like, they won a Grand Slam with Billy at eight. They didn't win a Grand Slam. They got beaten by Ireland in when they were going for another Grand Slam because they had no Billy Vunapola. He's just crucial to them. He, he played every game at the World Cup. He's their primary ball carrier. He's a brilliant interceptor. He's offloading game. He's just a huge, they've no real natural replacement for him as a number eight. Galtier does have a plan, though. They are going, the average age of the team is 23. They're going with the the, the bulk of the two squads that won the under, last two under 20 World Cups. Um, and Sean Edwards is just a massive appointment. When his his first season as Welsh defensive coach, they conceded two tries. So if he's got enough, got a hold of them enough in Marcuse's over the winter, he will fix this. Like the problem with Welsh is they haven't been coached with the French is they haven't been coached properly, you know. And now they've got. How much can he reasonably have done with them though? Well, that's what I'm saying. He he got hold of. He managed to to tighten up the Welsh. He 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 keeps it quite yeah, simple. But, yeah, he but does. The, but that's that's a different different culture. Like the the, <coughs> the French clubs. You know, aren't unless things have changed, they're not. They're Ac- not sending access, their players access, out to, to go and no to access go and has been improved. Schooled by Sean Edwards. Did they actually give them last weekend off for the first time? in no, the, that's been going on for the last few years. <coughs> has it? Yeah, yeah they've had a new deal in place okay. for the last few years. They just haven't made the most of it. Yeah, Laporte wants to have this whole thing running really smoothly when 2023 comes along. That's why Galtier has the keys to the kingdom, and that's why they brought in Sean Edwards as an early first appointment, who could have taken gone back home to Wigan and taken the head coaching job there but preferred the control he was given in France, he said in an interview last weekend, which is a pretty big statement. Now, Wigan weren't, weren't were going off and signing players and, without him knowing, so he pulled out of it. But I think France are, it's so risky to say this, isn't it? But I think yeah. France are going to be really good this season. If not this year, next year, they are going to get it together. The talent is real below the surface. Entomac, Ramos, they've all been around a bit, you know. I'd back them to win the World Cup now, but I wouldn't be backing them to win the Six Nations. It's going to take World time. Cup. That's a long time to wait. On an yeah, but they're at home, they're, they're, they're home side. You know what the French are like <laughs> yeah, at home. Yeah, yeah. We've seen it in other tournaments. They blew it the last time there in 2007. But I think Galtier, like we've said, is a proper coach. And uh, they have this wave of talent coming through. It's going to be really fascinating to see who they play at halfback. Mm-hmm. People might remember Matthew Jalabert. He made his debut against Ireland when he was 19 years of age two years ago. Kind of got slightly overshadowed by a certain drop goal by his opposite number in the. Did he get whatever. injured in that game as well? Didn't he? He got beaten up by Bundiaki legitimately in a tackle, but he did his anterior cruciate ligament, and that ruined his. That put him out for the rest of the season, and then he came back in pre-season last year and did it again in a oh, pre-season oh. game. So basically, put out and put him out of the game for a year and a half. Now every chance he's going to start, make a second start for France this weekend. Because he's a proper French 10. He's a brilliant player. He's taken Bordeaux to the top of the top 14. He scored five tries in his first 10 games this season. He's a real running threat. He takes the ball to the line. He's a good passer. And everybody I've spoken about him says apparently he's got like an, an almost an Anglo-Saxon mentality. He's a very strong kid mentally as well. Then the ripple effect of that is you play Jalabert 10, very much a running number 10. Who do you play at nine? Like Antoine Dupont would walk into most teams. But Baptiste Serrat came through Bordeaux with... Um, Jalabert so that he's now gone on to Toulon but they would have quite an established understanding so it could be that he, he goes Serrat and Jalabert at half back that'll be interesting but then you've got Vakatawa is just unplayable at the moment in midfield they could have Teddy Thomas Damien, Damien Penn like just X-factor galore in the back coming around to France now lads <laughs> yeah. well, the thing I think it'd be great to watch <laughs> you say that um, would say if they win on Sunday it's a huge deal but the flip side Billy Van Pola injury aside if England win on Sunday surely they'd be targeting a Grand Slam from there Yep. Yeah, they'd both be targeting the championship no matter what, I think. Ireland's kind of role is to spoil Grand Slams and Six Nations titles this season at Twickenham or Paris at the end. Yeah, I... And I, I know you said four could win it. I don't see how... I think you'll see how big the Gatland effect was with Wales this year. I think they'll struggle. 
um, to put put it all together uh, with the new coaching ticket. Still a good squad when you look at it, Gav. Of course it the is. They are, they they are Grand Slam champions. But, uh, they are Grand Slam champions and World Cup semi-finalists who very nearly made the final. Mm, but just how, how valuable was the Gatland, oh, Gatland and Edwards immense. ticket? Like they've, yeah. they've taken, you'll see now the value of coaches in rugby with the t- those two key figures taken away from the Welsh camp now. I don't know if to be able to piece it together in time. They've got three home games all, all against teams dressed in blue. They've got France, um, Scotland and Italy. So they'd be looking at winning those three. A bit like us. A bit like Ireland. Mm. Looking to win their three home games. See what they can get on the road away to Ireland and away to England. A bit like Ireland. It's a d- bit of a double-edged sword getting Scotland and Wales first up. But you'd be hopeful and confident that Ireland could start the game with two wins. And then they'd be going to Twickenham in round three looking for a triple crown. Yeah. Is that not an ideal start for Ireland? No. It, it, well, we'll know in two weeks. You lose, <laughs> it is if they win them. You, you lose you one know, of them and it's just one of them and it's just, pressure, yeah. You know? okay. yeah. Uh, let's uh, bring it back to the start then. Uh, first up is Scotland yep. next week. And uh, <clears throat> like Scotland, you know, as ever, fascinating. Mm. Finn Russell, gone. Yeah, yeah. Did, did people know that... The, Things had had deteriorated between him and Townsend. Like, was that was that sort of commonly known? Um, I don't know if they, things have deteriorated. I certainly remember after the England game that ridiculous thirty-eight all draw mm. last year. Do you remember in the Six Nations mm. they were like thirty-one nil down at one point or half, something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Finn Russell kind of claimed the credit after the full-time whistle for changing it around right. himself <laughs> yeah, last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. He had a disagreement with Gregor Townsend. He told ITV I, that he had an argument with Gregor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have always thought that they were um, like very much kind of almost like a father and son relation, almost like Joe and Johnny, in the sense that he was a maverick 10 himself, Gregor Townsend, sure. who travelled the globe to play rugby, played in France, played mm-hmm. in South Africa, played all over the place. And here's his, and he promoted Finn Russell. He brought, promote, brought him through at Glasgow from nowhere, from obscurity, club game, and gave him the keys to Glasgow's game plan and just let him rip. And he, he was a pivotal playmaker and a wonderful team. He's almost the best attacking out of in the world, you'd mm-hmm. say, off, off quick attacking ball. He's sensational. But maybe he's got a little bit big for his boots since he's gone to Racing. Um, certainly, he, the Six Nations would be poor for his absence if he doesn't play in the tournament. But I don't think Townsend had any option other than to banish him from the first game. If you go out in the drink on the Sunday night... Host Saracen's game, you know that? I know. But he was drinking in the team hotel, Scottish yeah, team hotel. <laughs> and, the, and he was obviously... Well, the word is that a lot of people went up to him and asked him to stop drinking. That was the thing. Like, it wasn't and even... He, he, drinking, he just left the team hotel and went to his folks' house in Stirling and then didn't turn up for training on Monday. Yeah. Now, for a head coach to retain any respect and authority in front of the rest of the squad, you couldn't then say, ah, it's okay, Finn. Just come into training tomorrow and you can start against Ireland. You know, I think it he just, went drinking in his parents' house in Sterling. But it was but clearly pointed. Like, if you, like if you want, it wasn't as if he had snuck off for a pint somewhere. Like, he was sitting in the team hotel... Uh, doesn't sound like the in smartest defi- in defiance like doesn't that, sound like the, the smartest thing in the world to do does it um, but then if, talking about defiance that's what I'm saying there must obviously be a deeper issue though. yeah but he goes yeah. and plays 80 minutes then in racing uh, mm. and they beat Castro and then he poses topless in knowing that the photo yeah, that yeah. racing tweet will go all around the world it kind of like it was two fingers to Townsend or whatever it's disrespectful to your team to be chest out top off after a, a game when you should be in your other team uh, what wouldn't be wouldn't be taken, wouldn't be handled. No, most squads just wouldn't deal with him, would just tr- get rid of him, but he's just so valuable uh, to Scotland. Is they, he known to be this sort of guy? Like, a, I hadn't heard that he had a bad reputation or anything like that before. Would, would, yeah, who knows? Don't know. Mm. But um, it'd be interesting how it pans out. I think, like, you know, Racing are a curious club. They do everything with an awful lot of style. 
but um, they are a bunch of very highly paid, um, almost maverick talents mm. who are just given free reign to go out and express themselves. And they're a joy to watch when they get it right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a shame he's gone because like, I love watching him play. But I would be I'd be wary enough of the Scots because well, Adam Hastings, gonna say, what does Adam it leave Hastings is a good player right. at number 10. He is. A good. very good player. He's, he's the best deputy you could have for Finn Russell, really. And he's been in the system now for a while. And also, you think back to, I think a fair enough analogy would be kind of Roy Keane and Saipan. This could unify the squad. You know, they could, we, we'll show Finn, you know, we don't need this. We can, we can do it without him. Son could of, well son of Gavin, them. Adam Hastings, he is a serious enough mm-hmm. player, but he's, yeah, just on the, on the Russell thing, him liking uh, Zebo's joke tweets about something that's pretty serious as far as Scottish oh, rugby goes. Oh, you yeah. like him? And he liked that journalists uh, defended him on Twitter and he liked that as well. Yeah. See, he, you know he's not saying silent, and then he's sticking his chest out. So yeah, it is. He's he's put them in. He put Gregor Townsend in an enormously difficult position because if Gregor Townsend doesn't get something out of this Scotland squad in the Six Nations, his position's in threat now he's as well. He's the most vulnerable. Yeah, he is. But yeah, uh, yeah so he's put, he's going to have to put up, place all his weight on Gavin or Adam Hastings hmm. to produce the goods. Uh, should Ireland beat them on Saturday? Yeah, I do think so, and I think actually, ironically enough, for all the. Um, post-World Cup analysis of where Ireland went wrong. The one day they got it right was against Scotland, mm-hmm. lest we forget. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a bit of a template. Um, the Scots, if they're weak anywhere, it's po- relatively weak. It's in the tight five. And you would imagine that Ireland might try and do a number on them up front if the team is packed with a lot of ball carriers like Doris and Stander and Ryan and Kilcoyne and others and Henshaw. You know, you could just see them monopolising possession and just pinning Scotland back in their 22 and, and, and suffocating them. I would be... Scots are dangerous they're always dangerous they can score try from anywhere on the pitch and they probably will score points but I, I would be surprised and disappointed if Ireland didn't win yeah with something to spare right so uh, four new coaches coming off a World Cup very little preparation time utterly impossible to predict how the Six Nations are going to go so how's it going to go lads name your winner <laughs> and name Ireland's position in the final table okay if uh, the winner of France England will win the championship that's so, not an answer, guys. <laughs> well, because it's Paris. Sort of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll lean towards France knowing that it'll be thrown back in my face. And um, Ireland to win three games. But the the fourth game has to be... I don't think it'll be Twickenham, so can they win in Paris? Stop stop the French from winning a Grand Slam? That would be the perfect scenario for Ireland. Not going to happen, I don't think. Okay. Um I, I think I'd love to. I think France beating England on Sunday would be great for the championship. Right. I think the Six Nations mm. needs France back. No disrespect to England, it's not an anti-English thing. I just think it would be great for the for the championship. Um, I'd be amazed if a completely revamped team retaining only what was it, fourteen of their thirty-one man squad, and this lack of continuity and very young, like it's a very. I think there's only one player in their entire squad over thirty. So they're building towards the next World Cup, but you know the World Cup's four years away. They might well get there, but for the moment, I would be thinking that it's if England win that opening game, it just sets them. They've got Scotland away, then they've got Ireland and Wales at home, and they finish off as if it's a chase for points in the last day. They've got Italy away in the round five. They got a lot of factors. They're six to four on favourites with Paddy Powers, and there's a reason why. So I go England one, and I think Ireland will still be in the hunt come the final weekend, and maybe second. But I wouldn't rule out Ireland win the title either. So I go England 1, Ireland 2, Wales 3, France 4, Scotland 5, Italy 6. Look at that. That's how you do a prediction. (laughs) 1 to 6. We're we're in agreement. England for the slam. (laughs) Chaps, thanks very much. We'll talk to you as it goes along. Cheers. It's the last week in January, so obviously that means the GAA. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, I was uh, uh, lovely and cold in uh, Crook Park on Saturday night. Sean, I presume, Sean Moran is on the line. I presume you were uh, nice and chilled down in uh, Waterford yesterday, were you? Yes, I was uh, in the, the new Walsh Park uh, press box, which is in, uh, uh, well, new. I mean, what they've done is they've kind of sectioned off the old one into cubicles. Oh, right. <laughs> Wasn't the uh, wasn't the roomiest place to begin with? As I recall, no, no, it, yeah. it, 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 it wasn't. It's it, it, it somewhat improved, although there was a, a shortage of chairs before the start. We had a kind of a crisis where <laughs> Philip, Philip Lanigan from the Mail had to send out a, uh, an SOS for a for a chair. His chair having been removed when he went downstairs for a cup of tea before the match. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but, but it was all grand. We were all seated and ready for uh, when, when it threw in. Had the glory of covering GEA. Yeah. Mal, you were putting up with the cold on uh, on Saturday night in Croke Park, which is fair to say might have, uh, the first big game of the year, might have given us a taste of the year th- ahead that we're likely to see. Well, uh, we put it this way, you'd hope that, that Kerry and Dublin meet quite a bit mm. over the year. Uh, uh, it's uh, possible, probable that... Uh, the, the next time you could see them is in an all Ireland final although I'm not sure how the Super 8 groups work out this year a, a Super 8 game between them would be good crack too um, yeah really enjoyable stuff like they you know they they play the, they, they play the game the way the game should be played like the, the skills that all the players more or less have access to sort of outstrip comfortably what what you can see <laughs> In the rest of the country, even though there were plenty of decent games over the weekend uh, and plenty of close games, but um, you know, simple the, their simple ability to shoot. Like you, you, you watch Brian Fenton always do the same thing when he shoots. Mm. He settles himself. He doesn't rush his shot. He looks so perfectly balanced and elegant and poised when he does it, and that radiates out around him. You know, I I think there were only four or five wides apiece the other night the odd one dropped short but like there was Paul Mannion had a wild one Clifford had a wildish one early in the first half but like you know the shots that should be scored were scored they, they, the both teams as well there's very few pot shots there's very few players chancing their arm from uh, from stupid uh, angles or distances They're, they are the they are the top top attacking sides in the country and it was and they don't like each other particularly and it's good crack for that you know they have there's plenty of needle in it too uh, they don't like losing to each other Kerry really don't like losing to Dublin uh, they're not be, you know they're not beaten before they go out and um, it was it was great crack Anybody looking for or hoping indeed for a drop in standards from the team now that Desi Farrell was in charge did not see it did they? Not really I mean Dublin went 5-1 up at the start then Clifford scored <laughs> brilliant yeah. David Clifford goal and it was nip and tuck from there to the end I thought Kerry were the better team in the second half actually um, Dublin Eric Lyons had a black card just before half time and so and was missing for the first seven minutes of the second half and Paul Murphy was the spare man and scored two points and from there onwards I thought Kerry were the better side up until five minutes to go and then five minutes to go, Dublin kind of flicked a switch and went into uh, beast mode, you know, with James McCarthy bombing on with Kieran Kilkenny, who I was 
kind of surprised he got man of the match. Now, he was the best player on the pitch for the last 10, 15 minutes, like from the 65th minute to the 80th, as it turned out. Like he sort of took over the game a bit. Um, but they were, yeah, they were they were Dublin in, in full cry for that sort of 10, 15 minutes. And probably did enough to win the game. But um, They also did something that I was found myself thinking you couldn't do if you were a lesser team who generally played in a lesser stadium. They essentially um, played a shot clock for the last few minutes where they wound down the clock That's what until they... they yeah. Got the Kieran Kilkenny and, and he earned yeah. that free, which you thought was going to win it now until it ended. Well, that's up, what I mean. Like that, it's funny. I, I I wrote a column today about you know what Desi Farrell's interview or interview uh, influence over them is going to be. It's clearly, obviously, too early to say anything about that. But what was clear from that, uh, that way they ran down the clock, keeping possession, all that sort of stuff. Like that's. That's muscle memory. That's that's the Dublin we've known from the last. J.O.'s Dublin. That's Jim Gavin's Dublin. That's how they attack. Mm. You know, Brian Fenton puts his hand in the air and everybody knows, right, we're keeping this ball for the next two minutes until uh, we decree that it's time to take our shot. Uh, and uh, that's what they, you know, that's who they are. It will be interesting to see, does that change? You know, what Farrell's influence over them will be over the coming year. But like, that's, that's 2019 Dublin, 2018 and 2019 Dublin. They do that all the time. What do you think, Sean? Six in a row in the bag already? Well, I suppose it's hard to uh, come to hard fast conclusions on, on on one match when the new manager had so little access to the, the players in the run-in. But uh, yeah, they, they, they were what they normally are, you know, even when they come back from, 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 from holidays. And last year, they lost to Mana in the opening uh, day. They were nearly beaten on on Saturday. An interesting stat is that they haven't beaten Kerry now in three league meetings. But um, they, uh, they they did, as Malachy said, seem to sort of just go into uh, go into their routines when, when when it was required. And there's something about the mid 60th minutes for for Kerry. You know, it's when they when they lost the the lead back in in in, in 2011, and uh, you know, and and and. They were leading at that moment in the draw in All Ireland final uh, last September, and you know they had a good, they had a good lead on 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 Saturday. But uh, I I think it probably is is I'd say Desi Farrell is probably somewhat the happier of the of the managers because I would have had this pegged as an opportunity for Kerry to um, inflict a bit of pain on 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 Dublin and uh, and take the and take the win. And I suppose the draw doesn't really kind of kill anyone uh, one way or the other but uh, it it was an opportunity I think for Kerry to get a, a kind of an, an affirming uh, victory at the at the start of the season and they were probably closer to full strength than, than Dublin but it was it was a great spectacle and a good match a good crowd as well so it was, it, it was, it's a great way of getting the, the league underway um, but we'll, we'll wait in the weeks ahead to get better indications I suppose of what of what Desi Farrell wants to do with the with the team because it, it was very much Malachy made the point he said that was 2018-2019 Dublin just going for that uh, going for that killer score at, at the end with the, the clock wound down and it just about didn't didn't come off uh, for them but I'd say they're very happy that they, they got something out of the match and they can now go ahead to, into the in, into, into the league as it unfolds We're in a funny situation Malachy in the league this year that while obviously the Division 1 teams are have the highest quality, arguably the most interest 
would be centred on Division 2 and 3 because it's going to influence how we break down into mm. the Tier 2 or the two-tiered championship this summer. Well, I, yeah, because it's, it's it's the first year in which uh, the oldest cliche in the book doesn't stand. You know, we say the league is the league. It's actually, you know, it's more... <laughs> Preliminary for, championship yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, there is, because it is for, for the first time ever linked to it. And um, it's, uh, yeah, because like Division 1, God, you couldn't ask for anything more from it from yesterday, from over the weekend. Two draws, a one-point win and a five-point win. Like that's, you know, and, and and teams really, really going all out for it. But yeah, you're right. Like two and three are where where there are, are major consequences. And you look at a team like, like, like you look at Cork. Cork were losing to Offaly at halftime on the weekend or they were certainly down a fair bit early. And, you know, Cork, are obviously should be are obviously too good for division 3 um but if now they came back and they won but if they had a few careless losses and ended up losing on points difference say coming third or whatever cork have carry in an all or in a monster semi final in june or in whatever in may in may or june whenever it is and um they would then need to beat kerry to stay in the all ireland championship mm. uh because the way you stay, the way you stay, stay out of the tier two is you're either you either end the league in division one or two, or you get to a provincial final. Now most other years, Cork have a straight enough run to a provincial final, but this year they have to beat Kerry, so they have to they have to they have to get out of division three. So it adds that frisson. Like ordinarily, who you know who gives a rat's ass about uh, you know whether Cork get out of division three or not. And it's the same, you know, the same at the bottom of, of Division 2. A lot of Leinster teams there aren't going to make it through, um, get through Dublin or, or Kildare or whatever to get to, or, or Meath, to get to a Leinster final. Uh, so they're automatically in, in tier, tier, uh, tier 2 championship. Now, look, we could be, you know, we could, we could overstate all of this. It's very reasonable to imagine that, that Anopheles might quite like the idea of being in a, in a Tier 2 championship. You know, they can win a Tier 2 championship. So it might be no great shakes to them if they don't get out of Division 3, if they end up staying in it, come forth in it, and have a real run at the, at the Tier 2 championship. So there's that side of it as well. We can't just make it out to be this huge bogeyman that, that it's that everybody's scared of ending up in in the tier 2 championship there could be very well there could be teams that like the idea of it and so that's what the the early part of their year is getting ready for it but yeah it adds a different frisson to it that that just wasn't there before it's kind of fascinating Sean isn't it that there's a a whole different psychology almost to the league this season yes it's interesting um i think what we're we're seeing is probably the huge anxieties of, of of counties about you know being excluded from a championship that they've made no impacts on for God knows how long, and it's just part of the way it is. I mean, unlike hurling, uh, football counties you know believe they belong in the senior championship, and they generally all have a some fine day they can look back on as as being validation for what they're doing there. And I, I think there'll be when it's all over. Um, I don't know whether demoralisation is the right word, but there'll be some pretty disappointed uh, counties to find themselves on on the outside of uh, of this new arrangement. Um, and given that the success of it 
in the future will rely on players buying into the idea that you have to basically justify your place in the the senior championship. Um, you know that'll that'll be a, a big factor in whether this is deemed a success or whether this works or not. But it does lead to a fairly fraught uh, campaign. I mean, at the moment, you know, it's just the, the just the opening shots. But as the as the campaign goes on and and it looks as if a team you know isn't going to make it into say the top two in in Division Three or as every chance of being the bottom two in, in Division Two, I'd say things get pretty frantic uh, along the way. I mean, it'd be all very well if this was a, an established pattern and teams were kind of geared up psychologically to what it, what it brings and the implications. But they're, but they're not really. So I think it's going to be quite uh, disorientating and quite a scramble as the, as the season uh, progresses in, 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 those, in those divisions. Um, I know that there are counties that... Uh, will will kind of feel that oh you know there's there's not a huge uh, not a huge difference in, in our lives but even if you go through the division three counties there's enough of them there that have you know had some sort of a a success in the, in the championship uh, um, so they won't be exactly looking forward to being excluded uh, when when the the race finishes at the at the end of March so yeah I agree it's 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 going to be very interesting to see the impact on those teams. The hurling, of course, is a different kettle of fish. There's, you'd imagine there's going to be an awful lot more shadow boxing in there with teams that'll have the freedom to experiment. One team, though, that was genuinely coming into the league looking to have a good league would be Waterford. Liam Cahill taking over at the helm there and kind of looking to change a lot of things, uh, as it were. They've gone a long way away from, say, the, the sweeper system that was there under Derek McGrath and they very much so started with a sort of man-to-man system against Cork on Sunday you were at this game and when they conceded those two goals in the first three minutes you along with I'd say every Waterford person must have been cringing inside and wondering what was going to happen from there yeah yeah Armageddon like second and third minutes opened up like a like a can and uh, you know two goals the first scores of the of the match you know I was there in 2011 when uh, tip with seven past them in the uh, in the Munster final down 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 in Cork. I mean, th- there is a, a a sharp intake of breath, all right, when it looks like a match might go just completely to, to one extreme. Uh, therefore, all the more impressive that because they they had an inexperienced defence uh, out there and uh, and they looked really at sixes and sevens. I mean, Cork were deliberately. Dropping certainly their half forwards back to, uh, to try and pull the defence out, create a bit of space in behind. But it, there was a lot of bungling involved in both goals, which wasn't just down to the tactical acuity of the Cork forwards. So, uh, I mean, Liam Cahill was very pleased afterwards. The caveat I, I, I would enter is that I mean, Waterford quite a good league last year, and they got to the, the final and, and lost and lost to Limerick. But their their championship was um, the same more or less as in, in, in 2018, and uh, so they 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 will be keen not just to make statements in, 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 in the current league, but also just to, I think, r- replenish the, pl- the playing stock as best they can and and just position themselves better for the for the championship. But for them, you know, for Cork uh, to come visiting and, and get beaten, it's actually not that unusual in the league, but I think whenever it happens, it's, it's, it's a good day for, for, for Waterford. And I think the, the manner in which they, they did it, complete with a late free zone where they nearly kind of squandered the lead that they patiently built, um, will leave them feeling good after the first week. Um, you know, 
in as much as as this league is going going to matter, I think it is worth pointing out how crap a league team Cork have been over the past <laughs> four or five seasons. I actually counted it up uh, when I was doing some league previews last week. Uh, they have this is now eight. They have eight wins out of their last twenty five league matches going back four years. Uh, the only other team. Oh no! No, the the nearest to that in uh, in the big the, sort of the main nine is uh, Dublin have eleven uh, in that period, and everybody else has at least fifteen or sixteen in those in those four seasons. Cork, are they, for whatever reason, they just turn out to be an abominable league team year after year after year. <laughs> it's true. We were talking about it before the match yesterday. Uh, I mean, Cork haven't won the the league since 1998. Um, it's a it's a very long time for a, for frontline hurling county. Now, there's always you know uh, reasons why a particular league t- t- didn't suit them and, uh, and all the rest. But but you know it's a, it's a it's a fairly lengthy <laughs> string of, uh, of of failure in the in second competition. And when you consider that the teams that have challenged um, for all Ireland's have won leagues along the way. You know, and I suppose it's worth saying as well that I mean, it's not like Cork have been amassing all Ireland's in the in the meantime mm. either. You know, I mean, the, the, it hasn't been a it hasn't been a great time for them. I mean, they're they're actually, you know, they're 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 they're, they're equaling their their longest runs with a championship success, mm. and you know, there's been every sign of it during their league campaigns. Anyway, uh, Sean, thanks a million for that. Uh, thank you to Gav and uh, Jerry who were in earlier talking the rugby. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Thank you to Declan and Suzanne who were behind the desk and we will chat to everybody next week. Take it easy, folks.